Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. It's such a good morning to be here. Um, if, if you don't know me, uh, like Barrett said, my name is Matthew Evans. I do serve as a lay pastor here at ICC, and I've been in this role for about a year and a half now, which is crazy in my mind. It seems like it's flying by. Um, uh, just before we get started kind of into our series, um, I kind of wanted to just share some heart uh, from me personally to you, the church, um, and just kind of talk about uh, kind of where I've been for the past year and a half. Um, like I said, I've been learning and growing as a shepherd and a pastor, and it's been some of the most challenging and rewarding ministry I've ever done in my life. Um, to be honest, there's been times when my flesh has been weak and I've, I've doubted my like ability to shepherd, which is funny to even say, but Time and time again, God's taught me personally that it's really not about my ability. It's not about what I have to offer, but it's what God can do in and through me and what God can do in and through this body. And in my weakness, in my weakness, um, His power is made perfect. And um, over and over, God has affirmed His calling on my life as a shepherd and pastor of this body. And I wanted you to know this morning Uh, to hear from me that I love you and I would do anything for your continued health and growth in God. And I pray for you um, weekly as do the elders. Um, Man, I just, it's like words can't describe it. I'm looking at at Rob and Robbie. I just, I wish you guys knew how much we love you and how much we do care for you as the body. Um, And I pray that uh, you guys can see that clearly in the months and the years to come from us. So um, enough of the personal stuff. We'll kind of move into the actual sermon. This summer, we've been going on a journey together through our series called Rhythms of Grace, Growing Spiritual Habits. And if you've been with us for the past weeks, we have learned that our God is full of grace. And what do we mean by grace, right? It's a word that we kind of throw around a lot. We can even see in scripture a lot. What we mean is simply God's unmerited favor. It's nothing that we've done to earn this grace. You can do nothing to deserve it, right? That's the definition of his grace. And we see this throughout the whole Bible. And not only is God full of grace, but God willingly and joyfully pours out his grace on undeserving people. Once again, we've done nothing to deserve this. Literally think about it like every good thing that you've experienced in your lifetime, every good thing is grace from God. It's grace. If there's something that we've earned and deserved while we've been living this life, we all know that, and the scripture teaches this, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and there's wages for our sin. So every good thing that we've experienced is because of God's grace. And um, we know that the ultimate display of God's grace that we'll talk about a lot today, but it's always, it's the center of why we meet. But God displayed his grace to us through sending his son Jesus 
to live the life that he lived, the life that we couldn't live. We were sinful. We, we've fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus came and lived the perfect life because he is God. And he died the death on the cross that we deserve to die, taking the punishment and the wrath of our sin, the condemnation that we deserved. And he resurrected three days later, proving that he's God. That's the ultimate display of grace. I want to, as we talk about all these habits, uh, spiritual habits and these rhythms of grace and how we can position ourselves to receive God's grace, I kind of want, like, we need to understand that the, the ultimate display of his grace is through Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. But there are other ways that we get to experience God pouring out his grace on our life. We um, were able to like know him more. We find peace and comfort in him. That's grace. When, when, when life gets kind of overwhelming and, and we can kind of get just uh, kind of down on yourself, there's, we find peace and comfort in God. That's his grace. He gives us purpose and meaning. Have you ever thought about that? Like you have a purpose in your life. Like we have meaning as followers of Jesus in this life while we're here on earth. That's grace. That's grace from God. And he cares for us and shepherds us away from harm. He protects us and heals us. We've all prayed for these things. All these things are, is grace from God. So we get to experience his grace in so many ways. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, and it's also implied to us, he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we see from the start in Scripture this calling to be strengthened by the grace that's only found in Christ Jesus. So there are ways that God has shown us in Scripture to position ourselves to receive his outpouring of grace. And we've chosen to call these these rhythms of grace. Now, these rhythms, rhythms of grace take the form of these spiritual habits, these spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about. Um, we've been saying this phrase uh, for every single week here, but spiritual habits position us to experience God's grace. Spiritual habits position us to experience God's grace. Once again, these spiritual habits do not earn or deserve God's grace, but they position us. So while our spiritual growth and maturity is 100% grace, we are also responsible to make serious choices that have real impact on our spiritual growth. For example, have you or someone you know ever wondered in a season of your life, like, why I don't feel close to God? You ever heard that? Like, I just don't feel close to God. Um, you may have, even, may have even said that. I know I have before. And there could be many reasons why this is true, some things that we can control and some things that we can't control. And I encourage you, Barrett actually preached a, a, a fantastic sermon on this in the Song of Solomon series. It's titled, Let's Talk About Distance. And if you haven't listened to that, man, I encourage you to go listen to that. It's such a great sermon. But there, sometimes there, the reason is merely because we aren't seeking after him. We don't feel close to God because we're not seeking after him. There was a time in my life when I was complaining to my friends that I was like not feeling close to God. And I'll never forget this, a guy named Nathan Reynolds, I call him Nate Dog. he's my friend uh, in Mississippi. Um, if you knew Nate, you would laugh your head off because he just, he struggles to speak normal English. He's just like, he's, he's such a cool guy. But he was like, uh, he said, I, I still remember these words. He looked at me, such a like faithful man of God. And, I was telling him when I was in college, I was like, I just don't feel close to God. And he looked at me and he said, hey, man, are you spending time with God? And I was like, like, yeah, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, of course I am. But deep down, I knew 
I knew the answer. Like, the answer was no. I was trying to do life on my own without any of these rhythms of grace. And I wasn't truly seeking after him. Galatians 6 kind of teaches this. It says, if I sow in the flesh, then I'll reap from the flesh. If I sow in the spirit, I will reap from the spirit. We see this picture of sowing and reaping all throughout scripture. And it's something that um, we just need to like understand. But let's be clear. These spiritual disciplines are not us earning God's grace. We got to remember the definition of grace, okay? Rather than earning God's grace, spiritual disciplines are positioning us to not miss it. How many times have we missed out on the grace of God just because we're not seeking after him, that we're not positioning ourselves to receive his grace? I have an illustration just to show you before we dig into the scripture. Um, I have a couple pictures. This first picture is a picture of my front yard. Guys, and I am so proud of this front yard. I am not gonna lie. I never thought I would become that suburban dad that just like took care of his yard. But man, I, I just love being out there and taking care of it. But it's, it's like my, my pride and joy. It's, it's, it's so green, it's soft, and I've taken care of it. I've, I've watered it and I, I cut it regularly. And I, it's just, uh, I've, I do all these things because I want it to, to, be, to, to be healthy and to grow. Um, and for it to be in the best position to, to do that. But I also have another picture after this, the next picture. Yikes. This is uh, my hydrangea plant in the backyard. And uh, it's seen better days, if you can't, if you can't notice. Uh, if you've been living in Memphis first, you know, with us, I know some of you guys may be visiting from out of town, but we have not had any rain. Ironically, it's pouring down rain right now. Um, so maybe, hey, maybe these will like be, be like alive when I get home. Um, guys, I, like I ignored these. I didn't water these. I didn't take care of these. Uh, I didn't put these flowers in the position to grow, into the position for it to be healthy. And there's like this contrast between like my front yard and this flower. And while it could be a very strange example, our spiritual habits and our spiritual growth have a similar like relationship. When we practice spiritual habits as described in scripture, we are truly positioning ourselves to receive his grace. I couldn't make these flowers grow. I couldn't just be like, grow. I couldn't do it. I couldn't walk to my front yard and say, please be green, please grow, be a healthy front line. But what I could do is I could water it and I could nurture it and I could take care of it and I can put it in the best position I could in order for it to be healthy. Um, we've been showing some of the spiritual habits through uh, this diagram. I'll pull up the, the, the diagram that we've been looking at, at these, these gears and this rhythm of grace. And we've been walking through the word, the prayer, the church life. And um, these are all like his promised pipelines of his grace. And we, we know he's ready to pour out his grace through these channels. The question is, are we willing to partake. Today, specifically, we're going to be starting the church life section of this, and specifically, we're going to talk about corporate worship, okay? Corporate worship and what, how we see this in Scripture. So, first, let's ask the question, what is corporate worship? We have to define that, right? We can't just start talking as if we're all on the same page, and we're going to get into some Scripture about 
uh, how, we came to, how I came to this definition. We're going to get to some scripture to talk about why it's important to corporate worship. But I kind of want to walk us through this just so we're starting all at the same point, okay? But corporate worship is the joining together of the redeemed people of Christ for the purpose of enjoying God, forgetting self, and remembering the gospel of Jesus. This first section, joining together of the redeemed people of Christ. We see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the people of God coming together for the purpose of worship, not just some social hour or, or, or country club meeting or anything like that, but we've come to like worship God himself. And we, there is a time of fellowship when the people come together, like, like we just did and, and Barrett made us all stand up and we're talking and when we're, there's just fellowship of the believers and it's so good, but that, even that fellowship is not our core reason of, of, of belonging. Next week, we're actually gonna talk about uh, fellowship within the church life. But our core reason of why we come together is to worship God. And we walk through some of these purposes here. This first one is enjoying God. For the purpose of enjoying God, John Piper says, and, and Micah said this on Wednesday night, if you were here, that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. So there's this sense of like, we've come to worship and when we worship God, we enjoy Him. So we've come for the purpose of enjoying Him as our God. And while we do get to enjoy each other in fellowship, our fellowship leads us to an encountering of God Himself. This morning, as beautiful and perfect you guys are, I love, you know, we all love one another. The real reason we are all here is to meet with God, to praise Him, to exalt Him, to rest in Him, to interact with Him, to sing to Him, to hear from Him. Corporate worship is, is it's all about Him. And yes, we get to see each other. And yes, it's so good for the church to be together and like through fellowship. And it's so good to like love on each other and encourage one another. We're gonna get to that scripture in just a second, but it's all pointing to the same direction of honoring and encountering this God, the one true God, the lover of our soul. This next reason for the purpose is forgetting self. And like I said, we're gonna get into some of the scripture here in just a second. I just wanna be sure that we're starting from the same definition, but we get to, there's, when we collectively enjoy him, when we're enjoying God as one church, we collectively forget about our individual selves. And this may sound kind of harsh, but it's, it's good for us, right? Today's culture and tendency, our natural tendency is kind of actively fighting against this. It's, it's easy to settle into this like solitary view of spiritual growth where it's, it's all about me, right? what passage of Bible I want to study and where I want to study it and when I want to study it and the prayers that I want to pray and the songs that I want to sing and I don't like these chairs and the, the lights are too bright and like it, it quickly can become all about me, 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 and me. However, corporate worship is our opportunity to forget about ourselves. Once again, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but we're going to sip on some humility tea this morning, okay? Like we're going to, we're going to it's, it's good for us to come into corporate worship and to let go and kind of just forget about this pridefulness as if it's all about me. It's not all about just our individual lives. The third and final reason that we see in Scripture, we're about to get to that just after this, is remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
When we come together for corporate worship, we are reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How soon do we forget? I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I can leave. I, Sunday is such a good time for me. I come together for worship. The preaching of God's word is preached over me. There's fellowship with other believers. There's, there's prayers. You're just reminded of the truth about the gospel because you've been hearing lies all throughout the week, but you're reminded of the truth of the gospel and, and we leave out and we go into this world, but man, if you, I know you know this, this world is very, it's a dark, dark place. But when we come together, there's this light, there's this light and it recharges us and we're reminded of the truth, right? You may have come in on Sundays doubting the truth, but we're reminded of the truth of the gospel and the new identity of the gospel that changed our hearts and renewed our minds is spoken over us and it's so good. Let's look into some scripture. For an example, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Psalm chapter 73. We're going to look at an Old Testament passage here, and then after that, we will open uh, the book of Acts and read from chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and kind of put a finger on that page. But Psalm 73, guys, it is such a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And we, yes, we're going to read the, the whole thing. It's really short. It's not, it's not long at all. Um, but we'll start in verse one. The, the scripture will be on the screen as well. I read from the ESV. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be, to me, a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, and you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. What a beautiful psalm. Beautiful psalm. In the first 15 verses of this psalm, you may want to go back and kind of look at some of the things that the psalmist is saying. But the psalmist is in like in distress and in distress and, and, and almost in like a, in Mississippi, we call it a pickle. Like he's in a pickle. He doesn't really know what to do. The psalmist is explaining like how he's discouraged from the evil around him. Anybody ever been discouraged from the evil around you? You just see evil out in the world and you're just, it's almost like, man, I just don't have any hope. Is there really a hope? This is what the psalmist is feeling. He even describes like a place of envy towards them because like he, they seem to be prosperous. They're gaining in riches. They, they seem to be at ease, the psalmist says. And the, the, the writer even like debates, have I even like been innocent? Is my innocence in vain? Is it all just for naught? He talks about how the, the wicked people, they mock God and they seem to just get away with it. And the psalmist is defeated. And quite honestly, the psalmist is vulnerable, very vulnerable. I don't know about you, but there's been times where by the time I make it to the, to the point of corporate worship on a Sunday, I feel defeated. I feel very vulnerable in that moment where I've been surviving on my own all week and the, the evil of the world around me, and maybe just ev- evil within my friends and family at my workplace, whatever, I'm discouraged. The glorious part about this psalm, and I want, to, I want you to kind of view it as like three sections, okay? There's like verses 1 through 15 that we just talked about, this discouragement of the psalmist, and then there's a turning point at Psalm 17. And then for the rest of the verses after that, 18 through 28, is a whole nother sound from the psalmist as he writes. In verse 17 is the turning point. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I went into the sanctuary of God. This is something that we, we, we can see this in scripture. It's clear that the term sanctuary of God literally translates into like the holy place, the temple, the tabernacle where God's people would, would gather. And this is where the psalmist got clarity. He was reminded of the chief end of those who are wicked. And he was reminded of his, his own sin. He even brought up, it's like, he says that um, he was ignorant and um, he was evil towards God. And more than that, he's reminded of God's faithfulness that we see from the rest of the verses um, to the point when he starts talking about the faithfulness of God in verses 18 through 18 through 28 to the point where he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I, desi- that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I hope you guys see this, the worth and the, the beauty in this psalm, this first 15 verses, the psalmist is, is struggling. He's limping in. And then verse 17, he, can, he comes into the place where God's people gather together and he leaves changed. He, leave, he leaves knowing the faithfulness of God. I'm sure many of us have had experiences like this in corporate worship. 
You've been hearing the lies of the enemy all week, but you walk into corporate worship and truth is proclaimed over you. And you're reminded of the promises of God. You are reminded of the work that Jesus did on the cross and you're reminded that Jesus defeated sin and death. And you're reminded that he's coming back. We're gonna look at another passage of scripture uh, in Acts chapter two. Well, so that the Psalm 73 was some passage in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47. We're gonna start in verse 42. I'll give you a second just to turn there. Starting in verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. <clears throat> And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, there's a very clear picture here in the early church that they were dedicating themselves to these spiritual habits that we've been talking about. Let's read, like verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Does that sound familiar? That's what we've been walking through, the word prayer, church life. In verse 46 in Acts, he writes, day by day, they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. We see that the early church, in, in this Acts, the context of this is that Jesus had just ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit had come to be among his people and our God Peter had just stood up and he had just preached and 3,000 people were saved and here we are, what are they gonna do? And this is what they committed themselves to doing. They committed themselves to these rhythms of grace, to, to studying the word, to studying the apostles' teaching, to praying together, to the breaking of bread. Day by day, they were attending the temple together. They're practicing these rhythms of grace and you know what? God poured out his grace. God poured out his grace. We see in these verses that they had an awe, a wonder. There was a joy in every soul. This is grace, grace from God to have such an awe and wonder and joy in every soul. And in the end, verse 47, he says, he added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Don't we have similar aspirations? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we do. Anyone else desire all and wonder and joy? Anybody desire to receive this grace from God? We've been talking about uh, at ICC uh, about this vision about praying for the loss and engaging the loss and seeing growth within the church, seeing growth of the kingdom of God. And that's only gonna come through salvation, but we gotta understand that this is all grace. And this, this link of of growth is not separate from corporate worship. 
this church, the early church, they were day by day attending the temple together, devoting themselves to the teaching, praying, meeting together, not being in solitude, and God poured out his grace, added to their number day by day. So we've discussed so far the what, what is corporate worship. We've discussed kind of why we come together for corporate worship. But the real question that we're going to spend uh, the majority and the rest of our time on is how do we partake in corporate worship? So how do we do this? We're going to discuss four ways that we can partake in corporate worship, okay? Is it just like showing up? Is that all you got to do? And then just kind of check it off like, oh, we're done with corporate worship. Did that one. Good. Um, Number one is just that, be present. Be present. This may sound overly simple, but in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, I'm going to go ahead and turn there in my scripture. 23 through 25, it reads, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's this phrase, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And and, and the writer is, is, is really just kind of warning against the danger of neglecting to, to meet together. And um, he even as some people have even made it a habit. There's a habit in some people and the writer here is saying, hey, don't be like these people who have made it a habit to neglect to meet together. I hear of this happening, but he's encouraging. He's almost like exhorting the church, exhorting us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to like, it's not good for us to neglect to meet together. And two things that I think that we need to talk about neglecting to meet together, just to kind of provide some more clarity about that. Like what, is that what does that actually mean? What, am I, what are we talking about? Neglecting to meet together can, can be intentional and unintentional, okay? What I mean by that is, you know, someone could say that I'm not going to church just because I don't want to. That's pretty intentional, right? I mean, no one's, you know, it's just intentional. Like I'm not, I'm not going to go to church because I don't want to very uh, direct decision. But there are some times that someone could say, you know, I've had a long week and we've been going to baseball games and dance recitals and Wednesday night small group and we went to the movies and, or if you're a student, I know Anna, my uh, beautiful wife, she's sitting over here. She's, uh, she was a student at UTHSC and went through the whole uh, physical therapy program and we, we know the grind and the struggle of, of being a student, but it's, it's, it could be easy to say, you know, like, I, man, I had two tests this past week. I got three tests next week. I'm tired. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to chill. The writer of Hebrews is, is warning us against this habit. Okay. It can become this habit where it's like, oh, I didn't go last week. I won't go this week. Or, I mean, I haven't been in two weeks and no one's reached out to me, so I'm just going to stay at home. I just want to watch some Netflix. It does good for me. I'm resting. I'm just renewing my mind. I got to get ready for my, my Monday work or my Monday school. And the writer is saying, no, <laughs> no, 
Don't make this a habit. Don't neglect to meet together for worship. And I want you to know that, there's, that there is grace. I'm not saying that no one here, no pastor or elder here, or even God himself is, is ready to just like condemn you. And if you, you know, just decide not to, to, to come or, or anything like that. But what I want you to hear is when we, when we find ourselves in these weak moments where it's just, I'm, I'm so tired, it's been a tough week, it's just so much going on in my life. Like when you find yourself in that moment and we're exhausted, the very thing that we need the most in that moment is to be with the redeemed people of Christ. It's what we just talked about earlier when I was, when we were talking about when we come together, we're reminded of the truth. We're encouraged. It's what this passage talks about um, also. And I think David Mathis says it better than me in the books, Habits of Grace. He says, get yourself there on a slow day with a reminder of how good it will be for you if you do. And as the gathering begins, go hard after the goodness of God and seek to forget yourself as you focus on his son. In the very moment when we're weak and exhausted, the very thing that we need the most is to be together. Our mind and our flesh may fail. We just read that scripture. We may think we need to be alone and watch Netflix, but we need to be together. We need the encouragement. We need the scripture and the Holy Spirit to speak over us. Point number two, how do we do, how do we partake in corporate worship? We listen for grace in the pulpit, preaching. Now, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, some of this phrasing is straight from David Mathis. And if you haven't read his book, Habits of Grace, I totally recommend it. We, we, I'm sure we have some out in the lobby, but I just didn't want you to think I'm stealing straight from his words, but I, I love the wording that he has, listen for grace in the pulpit. Let's be honest, like the faithful preaching of God's word is the climax of the corporate worship, right? It's typically the portion of our time together that we spend the most amount of time on. And rightfully so, rightfully so. It's the church's opportunity to, to sit and to be quiet and to listen to the uninterrupted voice of God through the assigned messenger that day. And it's such a special time for the body to enjoy. However, in order for us to like partake in faithful preaching, we've have to learn, I believe, how to listen. And this is where we're going to get really practical. So if you're looking for the very practical things that we can, that we can do, this is where I would start. How do we listen to preaching? You may think this is simple. You just kind of hear the words that are coming out of the mouth of the, the person preaching, right? But listening is, is to preaching is so much more than just hearing. It's a state of our hearts. It's submitting ourselves to God as we sit under the authority of the word of God and the, like the preaching pastor is standing behind the authority of the word of God. And, and we all as his body, as, as, as the church, as the bride of Christ, we are all looking and experiencing and seeing his beauty and his worth. It is our state of our heart. And when this happens, we're changed. We are changed as the body of Christ. You see, when we listen 
to faithful preaching and our state of the heart is to listen to the God, our sin is exposed and we're challenged to a sense of repentance. I think we've all had that opportunity and that chance to, we've all been sitting in the chair and gotten a little squirmy, right? Because the pastor stepped on my toes. You ever heard that? Like, man, that pastor, I tell you, he stepped on my toes today. <laughs> Maybe that's in Mississippi, I don't know, that's where I'm from. Um, but you know, I got news for you, it's not, really, it's not really the pastor. The pastor hasn't stepped on any toes. The Holy Spirit stirs in your heart. That's his name. His name's the Holy Spirit. And he speaks and he affects our, our, our hearts and he re- renews our minds as we hear the faithful preaching from the word. And this is the moment that's glorious, like when our sin is exposed and while we're listening to faithful preaching, we all have the opportunity to encounter Jesus. When we listen to faithful preaching, we are truly encountering Jesus. Like, do we understand this? Like, what if we came to church? What if we came into a corporate setting and we came to listen to preaching and not just to merely hear some preacher, but with the mindset and the state of heart to say, I'm about to encounter the one true God. I'm gonna encounter Jesus through his scripture. And as my sin is exposed, he's gonna speak truth into my life. I'll tell you a a quick story about this. Um, Anna and I were at one time at Mississippi State University, God's country, the best place on earth. Um, You don't, no no question about that. Um, Barrett gets up here and talks about Georgia all the time. I have to plug Mississippi State in every now and again. So, um, but we were uh, dating in college and we had a longtime pastor that we love. Chip Stevens was his name. And uh, he's no longer in Starkville. He's in Jackson, Mississippi, pastor in a church. One of the most godly men I've ever met. He would literally stand up and preach and all he would carry up there with him is a Bible. And he would just preach the word of God. He just knew the word and we loved him so much. Such a gifted uh, speaker and preacher uh, and really God used him to really... Uh, transform us while we were in college. But there was one Sunday where he was out. <laughs> we all have those Sundays where, uh, you know, like the, the main pastor was, was out. But there was, this, there was this guest speaker that day and, um, you know, like, oh boy, that's what everybody was thinking. That's what I was thinking. I was like, man, Chip's not here. This stinks. Uh, I don't know what we're going to, I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. You ever said that? <laughs> you ever heard that? I didn't get anything out of it. That's, that's amazing. When I, when I was saying that in my heart though, I was, I was so, I lacked an understanding. When I had that mindset and that heart when Chip Stevens was not there and there was this guest speaker who I didn't even know his name, I didn't know what he's doing, but it was like this sense of, I was putting all my hope in this spiritual growth and hearing from God and encountering God. I was putting all my hope in this, in this preacher's ability or lack thereof. Well, the speaker that morning began, and uh, to be honest, you know, I was sitting there in the chair, I was sitting right beside Anna, and I was not a big fan. Like, I was like, this dude, he's just, he's just not, he's not like Chip. His voice and his energy got on my nerves. I didn't, I didn't like his, like, lackadaisical personality. I just wanted to go up there and be like, this is serious, you know? Like, I was just that college, arrogant guy, full of pride. Um, and there, there was a time where it's like, I could, have, I could have checked out and just like, been like, I'm not gonna listen anymore. This is ridiculous. But there's something in me, and now I know 
he was the Holy Spirit, but there's something in me saying, pay attention, listen, listen. Well, I continue to listen and I'm telling you to this, like, I'm telling you the truth. God clearly, clearly, probably one of the most clear moments in my life that I, he spoke to me through his word that morning. He confronted some sin I had in my life and he gave me grace that I needed to give to others. I had been holding out on some other people in my life, mainly in my family. And God taught me and he met me that morning. It's almost like he literally encountered me that morning. And, and I, I remember leaving that. And me and Anna still talk about this sermon today because it wasn't, it wasn't marked by hearing some preacher. But the sermon that me and Anna talk about the most today is marked by I encountered Jesus. It wasn't that this, this I, don't, I, don't remember, I don't even remember his name. I really, I couldn't even tell you who it was. But I still remember that morning because God spoke cl clearly to my heart through his word by the assigned messenger that day. You see, we don't come to corporate worship whether you're in the bush of Africa or you're in the heart of Memphis and you come to ICC, we don't come to worship to listen to Matthew. Well, we know no one does that. We don't come to worship to listen to, to Barrett, to Claude King, to John Piper, et cetera, et cetera. Any pastor you wanna put there. No matter how flawed or gifted the messenger is that day, the assigned messenger of that day, no matter how flawed or gifted he is, we're not here for him. We've come to encounter Jesus. What if that's our prayer before we come in? What if as the pastor or the assigned preacher that day is walking up and we're sitting in our chair and we have that moment of prayer where we pray, God, I wanna hear from you. Where are you? Speak to me, God. Open up my heart. Give me ears to hear from you. I want to encounter you this morning. What if that's our prayer? I'll wrap up this point just by reminding, I told you we're gonna get practical in this, but um, we're gonna jump into, back into the scripture here. But I'll wrap up this point by reminding us that preaching is not the only thing we do in corporate worship, right? Um, corporate worship is more than a sermon. Sometimes there can be like a tendency, and I've even felt this in my own heart, and man, COVID put it on all of us, to be honest with you. I mean, when I was sitting there in <laughs> COVID times, and uh, you know, we would be, the first couple of weeks, I'd be watching the, the live stream, and then, then it just became like, oh, I'll just watch it later. <laughs> or I'll just, I'll listen to a podcast or whatever. It's easy to get into this mindset where it's just like, I don't need to meet together. I, I can, we don't need to come together for corporate worship. I'll just listen to the podcast later. But I wanna encourage you guys that this, that we are meant to be together for corporate worship. It's more than a sermon and we're not meant for this individualistic style of spiritual growth. We need each other. We need each other. I need Robbie. Robbie needs me. Like there's this corporate togetherness that God's designed us. He's designed that way, that pathway of spiritual growth into us and we can't neglect to meet together. Our third point is uh, wash in the grace waters again. This is baptism. Once again, I love the phrasing, wash in the grace waters again, baptism. So what is baptism? Baptism is an ordinance in scripture 
That's an obedient step for all believers in Jesus. We'll have the tub up here sometimes in corporate worship. We'll have to, we all get to experience someone in our church family who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and they become baptized. To explain further kind of what baptism is, this is straight out of our church constitution. If you've never read it, we can get you a copy of it. Baptism is an act of joy and obedience following a life commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is therefore performed after the individual has made a profession of faith and is administered by immersion in water to symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We even see Jesus being baptized in scripture. And I just want to take a moment this morning to encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you uh, proclaim to, to know him and to trust him and you follow him and you haven't been baptized, man, I encourage you to take that step of faith. Take that step of faith. There is a blessing awaiting you, a blessing of grace that God is ready to pour out. If you've already been baptized, there is still grace for you to receive in the ordinance of baptism. You see, when we baptize people in this church, it's not just some like ritual or sign, but it may be only like one person being dunked in the water, but it's, it's us as a church. We are joined in with the baptism. We, for multiple reasons. One, this person is saying, I'm committing, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ and to the service of this church and to love and to care and protect for each one of you in this church. And we as the church get to look at the person being baptized and we're saying, we are committing ourselves to love and to care and to protect and to, and to just invest in this person as the body of Christ. But more than that, we as a church, when we see a baptism, when we experience baptism, even in our own chairs, in our own hearts, we're rehearsed, the, the gospel is rehearsed over us. We are reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some scripture in Romans 6 that, uh, once again, just some like practical things that you can write down. But if you're ever, uh, if you are, are ever about, you know, to witness a baptism, I encourage you to meditate and think about Romans 6, and we can read through some of the scriptures. Romans 6, verse 4 through 14. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You may have heard those terms, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will, no, will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. 
when we witness baptism within the church, we're reminded that death has no longer dominion over Jesus because he defeated death. Therefore, sin has no longer dominion over us. We, do, we no longer have to bow down to the sin that's been defeated for us. We need this Romans 6 passage preached over us. We need this reminder. Every time we witness a baptism, it's not just, hey, can we just hurry up and get this over? I'm so happy for this person, but I have, I have to go to lunch. Instead, it's this, we rather lean in and we watch and we watch in faith and the Holy Spirit will renew your mind with a fresh reminder of the reality of your identity in Christ. You're witnessing it before you, you gotta remember you were buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Our fourth and final point is grow in grace at the table. Grow in grace at the table, the Lord's Supper. At ICC, we take communion every week, every week. We have the, the juice and the cracker in your chair and we'll, we'll do that a little later uh, this morning. But have you, ever, you ever wondered why? Like, why is it every single week? I know I, I grew up in a church family who we would take communion kind of once, I don't know, once and forever, it seemed like. But every morning, every Sunday, every corporate worship here at ICC, we take communion. The Lord's Supper serves like a similar purpose in the context of corporate worship as baptism. It's an ordinance of God we see in Scripture that we are reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a church. It unifies the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, he says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. Once again, the Scripture's teaching against this solitary individualistic view of my spiritual life. We're here as one body. It's not just all about me in my chair but it's about my brother, it's about my sister, it's about we're all one body worshiping God and unified. Because there's one bread, Jesus, we who are many are one body. Well, you can go back. For we all partake of the one bread. The Lord's Supper unifies us. It's the, the first thing we need to understand. The next thing we need to understand is that the Lord's Supper is not something to be taken lightly, okay? I know we're getting really practical here, but it's something that we need to understand from Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 32, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. God, scripture is clear. We must not haphazardly take communion. It's not just something that we just do as like a ritual and we just kind of check it off the list. It's a time where we examine our hearts. It's a time where there's, there's a confession of sin. There's a remembrance of the gospel. Um, and it's not something that we just kind of do haphazardly. Before and as we take communion, I wanna walk through three things that I think uh, could be good for us to consider. We should consider remembering our past, 
looking to the present and hoping for the future. When we look to our past, it's important that we remember our sin. We remember the wages of our sin. We, re we remember that it was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And as we taste the bitterness of the cracker and the juice, you know there's a purpose behind that? There's a purpose that it's not just some extra cheddar, you know, goldfish and tastes really good. It's, it's stale, it's bitter. Like there's like this remembrance of, it was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. But we don't stay in the past. We, we quickly move to the joy of our salvation, our, our present identity that we find in Jesus Christ, the defeat of our sin by the cross and by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see that we are instantly moved from our, our sin into who Jesus is and the identity that he has given us through, his, through the gospel. But not only do we look to the past, we look to the present, but we hope for the future. We hope for the future. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember that one day he's coming back. He's coming back again. What a glorious day for us as the church to, to hope for. Even when we're taking of the bread and drinking of the juice, we know we, I remember my sin and there's a sense of examining myself before I even take it. Maybe there's some sin I need to repent. I move into the present with like, God, you've spoken your word and you've the cross and the gospel speaks for me and you've given me this new identity founded in Jesus and I, I hope for the future where there's, there's no more pain, there's no more evil and we get to enjoy being with him once and forever. In Revelation 19, it talks about the marriage supper of the lamb. Let the small taste of this bread and juice, of the bread and wine, remind us of when we're with him finally and forever. I've said this before, that some of my favorite song lyrics are for a ring collective song, but I always remind myself as I take, when I, right before I, I, I take of the bread and the juice, it says, when I stand before your throne at last, your blood will plead my innocence. My only hope in this life is that the blood of Christ pleads my innocence. I'll wrap up just by telling you um, one more story. And there was a time in, in my life when I felt like, I felt like corporate worship was, was boring. I was like, man, what, like, what are we even doing? I'm a guy, like, I'm an engineer by heart. Um, I, I have to know why. Why am I doing this? I'm not just gonna just go do something, okay? And there was a time where I just thought it was boring and I did it because honestly, my parents drug me to church my whole life. And I thought it was just like, kind of like the right thing to do. But there's a time when I got to college where um, I kind of got out on my own. Maybe some of you are there and you're that season of life. And I had to figure out real quick, real quick, whether this actually meant something to me or if I was just kind of going through the motions. I'm gonna try not to become emotional here because it speaks of someone very like special to my heart. But there's a guy named Andrew, Andrew Hanna. Um, I'm sure many of you have that person in your life that God just poured out his grace to you through this person. Um, I was just a freshman in college and 
was probably not on a great path, and I thought I was. You know, I was kind of going through the motions, but looking back, not so great. But Andrew impacted my life in so many ways. Um, he invited me that fresh, my first semester uh, college, he invited me to come to the college worship with him, where there, there was hundreds of people who gathered together, and he would invite me to come to church with him, and we would sit together. And I began watching Andrew, and I began being like, I saw the way that he sang in worship. I saw like the way he, I listened to how he prayed, how he interacted with the other believers in the church. And I saw how he even like was so intensive in listening to the preaching. Like he would, he would jot down these notes, almost as if like it was life and death of like, what I'm about to hear is so important. I don't want to like any other distractions. And I was just like sitting here watching him going, this dude is crazy. Like, what is, what is going on? Like, I, I started thinking that I'm, I'm missing something. There's something I, I, I'm not getting. Well, I began to pray to God to help me to experience him like Andrew was. And boy, I'm telling you, when I started seeking after him, and when I started practicing these spiritual habits, God poured out his grace. He poured out his grace to the point where I could not wait to get into corporate worship. I could not wait. And believe me, there was nothing that was going to make me miss that. I was not going to miss coming together for the worship of God corporately with his body. So my question for our response time this morning for us is, are, are we seeking him? Are you seeking after God? Like when you come into for a corporate worship setting together, has it merely become just like this social hour or time to just be together? Or you're just doing it honestly just because you think it's the right thing to do, which is great. But are you seeking after God? Have you come, have you walked through these doors to hear some man or to talk to your peers? Or have you walked through that door totally expectant to encounter Jesus, almost like Andrew when he's like listening in, he's like, it's life or death. I, I, want to, I want to experience you today. It's so important. And as you think today, um, kind of ponder, I challenge you to just think on where did you hear his grace today? Not what did you hear from Matthew or how the music sounded or how you felt coming in, but did you experience him? Did you experience him? Is your heart of worship directed toward God or has Sundays just become a ritual? We've got to remember that we can do nothing to earn his grace. We can do nothing to earn the grace that he gives in our life, but we can position ourselves to receive his grace in the context of corporate worship by the state of our heart as we walk in and join his people for the worship of God. Take some time this morning. I'm going to pray for us and the band's going to come up. But take some time this morning and just consider how you can better position yourselves in the context of corporate worship to receive God's grace. Um, I'll be down front. Maybe this morning that you're thinking, I don't even know this, this grace of God. I, I, I just don't even know what you're even talking about. And I want, to, I want to experience him, maybe even just for like the first time. We'll have prayer counselors down front. I'll be down front.
Maybe this morning you heard from God and maybe some sin in your life, you've been kind of viewing the, the corporate worship of God, the coming together of the body of Christ, you've been viewing it all wrong. And there's some sin that maybe you need to repent of, I don't know. The altar's open, you can come, you can pray, you can meet with God. I'll pray for us and then we can sing and respond. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you just for, um, Lord, that you're present. You're here. Lord, we don't, just, we don't just come and show up as if it's just another social event during the week, but God, we come totally expectant to meet with you, God, to, to hear from you, God, to praise you, to encounter you. God, as we sing, we sing to you. God, as we pray, we pray to you. And as we, we hear the word spoken over us, God, we are reminded of your gospel. We're reminded of how good you are to us, God. And as we walk out these doors into this dark, dark world, God, we carry with us the light of the gospel, the encouragement of our new identity that nothing in this earth can touch. Lord, I pray um, Lord, just your grace over this people, over all of us today. Um, Lord, we have come to worship you. May you be pleased with our worship. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.